<sighs> Welcome back, everyone. This is the Mind Body Mentor Podcast. My name is Steven Jaggers, and I am your host. On this podcast, we pick apart the potent and powerful patterns of masters in the realms of mind and body. And today's guest, probably a little bit different than what you have heard from a lot of my guests on the Mind Body Mentor Podcast. Um, this one is with a dear friend of mine, Justin Resvani, who is doing absolutely incredible things when it comes to, um, well, freedom, freedom of expression um, and social media through his company called Zion. Uh, you know, Justin is such a um, new paradigm of an entrepreneur, and I give him so many kudos for tackling such a massive endeavor really a, a, a massive endeavor. And if anything that you take away uh, from this podcast that you know, go all in, that's all that matters at the end of the day. Whatever your mission is, whatever your dragon is, um, go all in on it. Be courageous. Uh, his story is absolutely incredible. He wrote the book, Unapologetic Freedom, um, which just... You know, for myself as a practitioner and a business owner, I, I don't really delve into these things as much, um, but I know for a fact that you guys will get so much out of this podcast. Yeah, and without further ado, here is the uninterrupted podcast with my brother, Justin Resvani. My brother. My brother. What an intro to a podcast. I've definitely noticed that every time I do that before the podcast, um, just the conversation and the communication, right? The connection in between just feels so much more solid. Love that, man. That is, yeah. that is magic. What you do is magic. It's been, it's been great deepening our friendship because when I do something like this with someone I'm quite close to and I'm mm -hmm. quite close to you, it just unpacks a whole new level of things to and parallels to go down. And that just created such an open and wide container. So thank you for that. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, before we kind of dive in, I do want to say that, you know, you were one of the one of the first real allies, I would say, when I first came to Austin. You know, when I came here to look for a place, um, I just reached out to a multitude of people and, and looking for a place to stay. And you were like, dude, come stay and, you know, make yourself at home. Like I have a room, whatever you need, you know, such hospitality. So I, I uh, you know, and beyond that, just getting to know you in, in a multitude of different ways and to see you and your, your mission is, um, it's absolutely in alignment with what I think we're trying to do um, just from, a completely different spectrum and you speak a completely different language so i'm really excited to uh to delve in here thank you brother i appreciate that and and my feeling i echo the same sentiment i think that what we're trying to express is is freedom and like allowing people to have full sovereignty in their in their selves and i'm applying it in just a different way but that's that's yeah. i think the essence that's why I like the like i feel that word freedom and sovereignty and Oh, man, it's in, and when you say that, I get, I get chills because it, it really is. Um, what we're trying to do is, is freedom of expression yeah, and feeling free within your own body to express yourself. Um, whether it be highs or highs or lows or on a, on an emotional level, on a mental level, on a, on a physical level, 
And, um, you know, I think you doing that in the digital realms, a place where we are so constricted, um, probably just as much physically as we are digitally. And it, and it, because what's, what's happening and what's really interesting is that the time we're spending in these digital experiences are actually increasing, right? Like, yeah. like over time, the digital world actually is, when you look at time spent, it's actually increasing more than sometimes you have in, in the real world. And when you have, you know, more than 30 or 20 or even 40% of your day for some people becoming this restrictive environment, the question is, what's the path to provide freedom in that realm? And that's kind of been my daily focus. It's my daily task of thinking about how you can free humans in a, in a more impactful way on these this place that we spend quite a bit of time on now, right? Yeah, and we're not going to be able to get away from it. That's the thing I think a lot of people... Um, I, I do want to give context um, to kind of what you're speaking about first. Um, I know that you probably told your story on a multitude of different podcasts, but um, as far as my listeners, they might not be familiar with you. And, you know, just rereading your the intro of your book, Unapologetic Freedom, um, it brought full-on chills to my whole system, Just just your story and what you've been through. And where you've gotten to right now, and it seems, I mean, the, the journey doesn't end, right? It's um, its honestly probably just beginning, and it's continuing to begin. But I would love for you to maybe give a little bit of background on kind of the start of your your entrepreneurial journey. Um, you know, the, the first business that you created to uh, help influencers connect to their uh, their communities, um, maybe what what drove you to want to do that and then how you got into uh, this platform, um, being the founder and creator of Zion. So I've had this thesis my entire life. And since I was a kid, I, I believe that creators are the most powerful mechanisms of change in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I came to this thesis in my early 20s that we were making an evolution in what... Uh, influence would drive change in the world. And, and I'll give a quick little context of, of the history of that. So um, the moment that computers started becoming a thing, if you look at the early 2000s, the things that won were platforms. So, and you look at that as Apple and Google ended up becoming the most influential thing in our lives. They, they, they empowered everything. They created the network effect. Everything you did revolved around Google and Apple. Then you look at the 2010s, what that evolved was Apple owned the platform. Now, what are the applications in that environment? And the, the 2010s were really um, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. The application layer became the most important thing in our livelihoods. And right now, we're actually emerging and probably watching this video in one of those particular yeah. platforms. But I knew very early on in my career that the natural next evolution of what would be from Apple to Google to Facebook, to Instagram, is going to be people and influencers in particular. Individuals mm. will be the next series of platforms. The Mr. Beast, the Joe Rogans, the Somatics, you, Aubrey, all the most powerful people in the world will become the next level of platforms. That was a thesis that I came up with early in my 20s. I knew that that's what was gonna happen. So when I was 24, I said, if this is the trajectory that things are going, I'm going to build a business that helps support these individuals 
at the beginning of their growth into this environment. So 2012, Instagram gets bought by Facebook for a billion dollars. I go and start building an application on on Instagram. Uh, We were the first app on the App Store, on the Apple App Store, that connected the future platforms of the world, influencers, to brands. We were the first way an influencer could do ads on Instagram. And for three years, uh, between 2012 and 2015, every brand that wanted to build an audience on Instagram called Justin, we would go do an ad campaign with some of the most influential people in the world and we'd create their Instagram accounts because Instagram was going to be that new flourishing platform. But all that time, my job was supporting creators, was saying, you know what? You guys are going to be the most influential mechanisms of change in the world and I want to build businesses that support you. Um, Because we were early, um, I ended up selling the company in 2016. I stayed on the board till 2018. And then I fully left my role in 2018 and took, took a few years off. And, you know, I did an iron, I did a couple full distance Ironmans and I had this like traumatic brain injury. And then in 2020, I decided to get out of retirement and build Zion. But the thesis of my entire career was that I believe creators are going to be the future platforms. And we're seeing the small indicators of that now, and that's what I've spent my entire career supporting. And Zion is just a natural transition of the next phase of my business and my career. Something that really struck me um, when I was reading the introduction again was um, there was kind of a, there was multiple like pivotal points, I think, in that. that and the first one that struck me was you said you had a conversation um, with a dear friend who is an actor. Yeah. And that um, lives in Austin now, actually. He, he does. Yeah. He lives okay. here. And, um, you were listening to his struggles yeah. and the things that he was struggling with and what, like for myself and a lot of people that are trying to create a business or to create something, um, I've learned that listening is probably the biggest piece to that. Like listening, it's, it's not just about what you want to create. It's about like trying to solve a problem for other people and like listening to actually what the issues that are going on and because the world decides, right? The world decides. So do you think that that was kind of an innate skill that you had? I mean, you said your thesis is that creators are, are probably one of the most important parts of protecting in our world, have you always had this kind of innate capacity of like really deeply listening to people? I think the innate capacity is that I can see the future before it happens. And I think You're the like listening psychic. is just the reinforcement of seeing what's going to happen, right? Like all these things to me have been so obvious. You know, when I was in my 20s, I said that mobile would be like not even 20s. When I was 18, I wrote a paper to get into my university. I said that mobile will be the most important thing that we do in our world. And this is 2006 before the iPhone came out. And I was like, the mobile phone will be one of the most important digital environments of our life for the next 20 to 30 years. And that's, that's kind of played out. So I've just, like, I've just seen things before they happened and just reinforced it, like really trusted my gut that like this is something that will exist. Um, and it's just been innate in me the whole time. I, I don't know where it comes from. I think I've just had it. But what I, what I think my gift is, is that I listen to people and then I take time to really absorb and put things together, right? If essentially, I'm a product designer, right? Like some people design clothing. 
Some yeah. people design experiences like you do. I design products and that's kind of been my whole thesis, but it's from the listening, the innate listening of what's a problem in our society and let's build something around that. Mm. So moving on a little bit, like, so what the heck is Zion? <laughs> I know it's, it's probably um, a lot that we could spend the whole conversation, but um, it, it, innately what we're trying to do is build a set of tools that creators like yourself and anyone that's creating content on the internet can build a better relationship with their fans through owning their identity online, through owning how the messages get sent to their fans and followers, and then owning the relationship through a financial transaction. The things that are broken on the web right now is identity, messaging and data storage, and payments. What I mean that they're broken is they're they're basically run through trusted third parties, right? You trust Google, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You trust them um, with your identity and then you trust them to send this video to whoever you want that follows you, right? But at any time, that relationship can be changed. It can be turned off. It can be said, you know what? That message is not something that we want to distribute to these people because you're on our platform. So Zion is building a set of tools, a protocol per se, to help creators build a better relationship with their fans. And then on top of that, we're building an application that allows you to do that as well. So not just building the underlying infrastructure on the, how the application works, but an actual app that you can see on the app store so you can go build a relationship with your fans. But the important thing about the relationship that you're building is that you own all the connections. You own the relationship between all the people that follow you. And for whatever reason, if you wanted to leave Zion, you could take all of your followers with you. Zion is attempting to build a platform that creators will build the last platform ever. They never have to go and create a new Instagram or a new TikTok or a new YouTube. They can take all of their fans with them forever to whatever application comes on down the line. That's the future of what we're trying to build. It's the last application you ever have to grow an audience on. There's so much there. The other day I... Uh, I I actually got my Instagram got taken down my personal Instagram. Um, and I think it was just an error on Instagram's part, but for two days I couldn't log into Instagram. And I was yeah. like, uh, I run my business through this. Right. Um, it was a smack in the face. Like I don't own this. I think that there's such a, like most people, a lot of people are aware that they don't, they don't own their, their social media or they, they don't even own their identity. And so many people run their full business through it. Um, but when it does get taken down, it um, it really hit me hard in the chest. And I think because we've developed this language of using the context of language is important. They say my Instagram, my Twitter, my YouTube. When in fact, that's in a, in, on a language perspective, it's wrong. It's not your anything. It's something that you have a username and password to, by the way, you don't own either of those. The Gmail account's probably owned by Google. Yeah. You log into their service. You give them rights to all the things that you do on that website. Every video you post onto these services, they now own as their content. And then they give you the ability to reach their customers. But at any time, they can change the rules and say, you know what? We don't want you to do that because we don't want you to log in. What creators have done in the first phase, and I'll call this phase two of the creator economy, is that they've built mansions in someone else's backyard with no rental agreement. 
And anytime the landlord can say, sorry, it's time to go. That's the reality. And, and it's, not a, it's not a doomsday thing. Like for me, it's all about the, the realities of the technical architecture, the primitives. So the question is, can you build a new set of primitives that is inherently different than everything else? And what's really important about what I'm saying is, you know, people will be like, oh, this is like a censorship thing. It has nothing to do with censorship. Most companies that are playing down the line that you might relate to, oh, this is an alternative platform. This is an alternative platform. This is an alternative platform. Zion is not an alternative platform. Zion is building completely no, new primitives and a new protocol, a new way that packets move across the web, a new way that a message is distributed between two individuals. It's not another platform. It's a whole new kind of internet. It's... It's so it's beyond <laughs> it's beyond my understanding, but I can speak from you know myself just being a practitioner and having you know now probably five hundred practitioners globally like worldwide and seeing the struggles of them being able to market themselves sure um, and and really we've done this this whole movement um, completely organically yeah um, but understanding that organic actually is still controlled by the algorithms. Like of course. at the end of the day, um, like I've tried to unpack marketing in itself, but marketing like across the board now is controlled by the algorithm. The, the, they decide what gets shown. Your stuff does not just get shown. So when I'm talking to so, so many different practitioners, they're trying to consistently put out content and they're, they're fighting against this this algorithmic overlord. We're, we're building we're building content for computers, not for people. And then we hope at the end that someone sees it, right? Like we we we've completely missed what we're actually trying to do, right? We're trying to evoke emotion and we're trying to share our spirit and things we care about. But often we're building content for a computer in the hopes that the computer will get it to other people. We've gone full bore into a digital simulation in some ways. And we've allowed these algorithms fundamentally because of the business models, right? Like I think the business models on social media are broken because we're arbitraging users' attention for a third-party advertiser, not for sufficient distribution of two individuals, right? It's not free. It's not free. Someone's got to pay for it. And I think that model also has to be flipped upside down. That's like we're taking a completely different monetary approach to the network also that doesn't let a third party be the one that decides what messages should go and how they should go. We don't need an algorithm to do that. Yeah, we don't need a middleman. No, we don't. We need this. Like this yeah. is the most important part of human interaction is like an individual standing next to somebody else looking someone in the eye. The question is, can you digitize that experience? Can you digitize the human experience? And that's exactly what I spent all my time working on. It's interesting that these are these are social media platforms but they are communication platforms and i talk about communication so much as like we are i feel like one of the biggest purposes in for humans is to commune is to connect is sure. to connect with each other is to share our own um gifts our skills our disciplines whatever it is to commune with the planet to commune with technology in a, in a healthy way um I'm curious, like what, when you look at this third party, can you give us like a, a metaphor? Is it like a, almost like this middleman in between, like choosing um, what's being said between us? Like, it's almost like if I were to try to communicate with you, it's being skewed or um, 
there's certain aspects being chosen, whether or not it's being communicated or not. So imagine we're sitting in a room and me and you are sitting across each other and having a conversation similar to this. But there's another person that's standing in the middle. And before anything that you say, they have to receive the message and allow you to speak. They, allow, they have to allow you to speak, number one. And then secondly, if they allow you to speak, they're the ones that decide if you can actually speak to me and your voice comes to my end. Imagine if your voice is actually silent, but it's only able to come through when it comes in terms of the sound if this person in the middle allows for it. That's how every message pretty much moves on the internet today. Uh, you're running through a centralized server that says this message is relayed to this other person. Um, and by the way, the two addresses, the two addressable identities across the board are also controlled by other companies. So you and your digital self are not even owned by yourself. The impact of what happens is that, let's, let's just break this down. Let's go to Instagram, for example. You probably log into Instagram with probably a Gmail account, right? Like Correct. most people do, 2 yeah. billion do across the world. So that initial layer of your identity, you don't own. So imagine if Google says, you know what? We don't want this person relaying messages on the web anymore. Then everything downstream that you've used as a login disappears. Your digital self is not even yourself, right? Like we don't have self-sovereign IDs on the web that's rampant across the world. Our attempt and what we're trying to build for the world is the base layer of who you are, the identity is yours and yours alone and it's only controlled by you and no one can turn off that digital identity. And that's kind of where the base layer of what Zion's building comes from. It's a, called a DID, a decentralized identifier. And that ID, you have to ask the question, okay, where is that ID held? Right? You need a registrar. You need a place where someone can go reference and find that ID. So if I'm pointing to you, people go to Google and they reference Google and say, this is actually an ID I can capture. We use Bitcoin not just as a monetary instrument of exchange, but a database to store identity. And this is where it gets like very ethereal, like the spiritual aspect of like, what is Bitcoin for the world? Bitcoin is like a savior for humanity in the digital realm. I want to get into the monetary aspect of it and, and where kind of cryptocurrency comes into this. But just what's coming through right now is that you are almost like a digital space holder in a way, because I look at whole, like when I'm holding space for somebody, I'm holding a space for them to take up space. Like I'm creating a space for this person to take up space because most people have never felt on an emotional level that they are allowed to take up space. Like whatever's coming through them, if it's anger, if it's sadness, whatever the, the, whatever the expression that's coming through, like in our world, we, we would, if someone's crying, a lot of the times we go over to them and say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. But really what we're saying is no, 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 stop. I'm actually, I actually want to curate you from feeling that. And so when you're born, like the gift of being born is that you have the gift of taking up space. You have a body. You are taking up space in this room. And so it's almost like in a way you are, and I don't know if this is, this lands or not, but you are, creating an environment a space for people to actually be their authentic selves and their own expression and take up space without having any sort of third party kind of creating an impression or impinging upon that expression 
Zion is trying to build technology for individuals to express themselves freely in a digital world. Truly express themselves freely. And I think we haven't seen what the parameters do if someone's actually allowed to express what they feel or what's going on without the retribution or the potential of retribution in the digital age. All while making it the safest place on the web because sometimes when you when you talk about language of like the ability to freely express um there's a very negative aspect to that right like yeah. i think one of the things i believe is i think twitter for example is like in some ways a cesspool because the the worst part of people come out on some of these social networks like you see yeah. these comments from people and because you don't know who they are they just created an account for free there's no consequences whatsoever they can spew the worst things of their life into it they seem to have expressed the worst parts of them i believe that this technology because of some of the parameters that we set inside the tools we created is that it also makes it the safest place on the internet and the reason is finally, we have the ability to create digital consequences for bad actors, mm. right? Because we built the protocol, the underlying rails of Zion on top of a payment network, right? We're not, yeah. it's not secondary. It's built on a payment network. There are no consequences financially if you're a bad person, yeah. just like the real world. You can't spew hate to individuals constantly with no consequences in the real world. It's just not mm. how it works. You can do that digitally because these social networks allow you to create an account for free. They also allow you to be basically anonymized and you can spew hate, 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 and then just start a new account. Hate, 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 our new account. In our digital world, you can't do that because you're fined as a bad actor. And there's a whole unpack to like, why did we use proof of work to make this a safer place? I absolutely love that. And I think that I would like to get into conscious capitalism a little bit and sure. kind of what your perspectives are on that. But what I'm a big, a big, um, I think misunderstanding that people get from some of the things that I express is that I, I talk about just, you know, expression kind of neutrally or freedom of expression, but, and I create a space for people to express some of the stuff that has been suppressed in a way, yeah. but it's, that's just the first layer. And then it's like, it really actually becomes about quality of expression. It becomes about like your own unique expression and yep. turning that into an art form. And I think that you should be, um, you should be uh, rewarded for your quality of expression. Like what's going to drive humanity in a way. And I, I think that like, I've sat with like this idea of conscious capitalism that if like, if someone creates um, a way to filter out all of like some technological way to filter out all of the uh, 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 toxins in the ocean, like they should make more money. Yeah. They should be rewarded for that. Absolutely. And so, and, and that sort of, like all of life is competitive in nature. And I think that a healthy expression of competition is like we are competing against each other to get better for the good of all. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, at the end of the day, it, it, it is about quality of expression and, and, and artistic expression and um, technological artistic expression in a way. And then having that, um, that monetary system that's put into place where you just in the real world, you can't go and 
um, trash on people all the time without your identity or your persona, um, you start to lose your, um, uh, uh, what's, what's the word? You start to um, lose your reputability. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm curious if you kind of want to maybe share your, I, like, does that, does that land for you or does that kind of? I, I think the concept of conscious capitalism definitely lands for me. I think it's, it's are we doing things that are improving society? Um, I think that, you know, my business has always been of, of that lens. Um, it's always been of, you know, what are we doing to better the world? And I think if you create a much freer digital world without like digital overlords per se, it's a much better environment, right? I, I don't think an individual should own these mega platforms. I don't think an individual should do that. I like, I, I, I like Elon. Um, I like what he's doing, but I'm not necessarily sure you should have one individual like that owning something so important like a messaging protocol like Twitter. I don't think Mark should own Facebook, right? Like this is, this is a place where people should be open to discuss their ideas and what they feel. And an individual controlling those ideas, I think just aren't wrong, aren't right. But I think to get back to your question, I absolutely believe that individuals and companies should be, I don't know what's the right word, but you know, gain profit from doing things that are good in the world. Of course they should be that way, but it's not right. Because we have this legacy system. Um, I, I have a chapter in my book that talks about the decentralized century versus the centralized century. Uh, the centralized century started with FDR, um, when he started building all the three letter agencies, but the moment the transistor came about and the moment the iPhone was released and which is a big kind of about a 50 year difference, the iPhone began the era of decentralization. And I think what we're seeing in our world today is this conflict. We have this conflict because the people that are running mainstream media used to be in control of the narrative. But now where you go find the news is that Instagram video from that kid in Iran that is sharing the, the, riot, the, uh, the protests. And now you see that a country like Iran, um, which is where my parents are from, um, the uprising and, and the information of that uprising are not occurring on CNN or CNBC or MSNBC. They're occurring on um, someone's random Instagram account and then that's shared a thousand times within a community and now it's seen 15 million times. Now the question is, is there an aspect where we can create that in an even more freer environment and not restrict it to Instagram? Is there a way that that message can go out in a truly decentralized way and let these citizen reporters build a story around the atrocities that are happening in the world. And I think the next phase, again, is these platforms around creators. What are some of the biggest challenges that you're coming up against right now trying to build this? Because, I mean, it's like you're going up against the, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, the overlords of the world in a, in a lack of better terms. You know... I've given usually my answer to this question is this like cookie cutter of like hard tech, which is true. Never before done technology, very competitive category, um, billions of dollars against me and engineers. But one of the biggest challenges I'm finding is, is my emotional self as, as the challenge and, and the breakthrough point and, and the fear of failure. Um, I'm finding that my personal fear of failure sometimes allows me to make really bad decisions 
and I don't learn from them potentially fast enough. I think the biggest challenge in some ways are myself. And I think that's not really a typical answer that I would share on a show, but I feel like connected to you to share that is that, you know, I get in my own way a lot. And I think that's something that I is, is the biggest thing that I want to find a breakthrough through is like, how do I not restrict myself in my capacity to build beyond this through my capacity of fear? Because you know, the thing that goes through my head a lot is I've had a very successful career in my 20s. I did very well. I, I built a great business. I sold it. Uh, I was on the Forbes list. Like I had a really good career. And I, and I, the thing I think to myself is like, if this thing doesn't work out for whatever reason, and mind you, like my investors are some of the most powerful and biggest people in the world. And if I lose their money or whatever, have I made a bad choice? Am I not successful? Am I not good enough? Like that fear drives me every single day. That's the thing that I think is one of the most challenging breakthroughs that I have to work through as a person. And then obviously all the downstream things of like, this has never been done before. Like truly the technical patterns that I'm trying to build have never been done before. And, and I think the, the interesting recognition of that is, I don't know if we could throw this up on the screen if this ends up being a video podcast, is like, you know, two weeks ago, Jack, which was the founder of Twitter, you know, put a tweet out of like Web5 is happening and he linked to my technology. He linked to my blog post of like how I believe the future of social media should be built. And so there's all of these aspects that like make this very challenging, but we're the first to do it. Um, so I think it's fear and just hard technical breakthroughs. That's a, um, a massively profound awareness that, and, and first off, thank you for sharing because realizing that it does start within yourself and what i'm so fascinated is with with humans is how emotions affect decision making like how because people make most their decisions off of emotions whether it's fear whether it's expansive whether it's love whether it's and how sort of in my realm like your the the your own respiration, the quality of your breath actually controls the state of your nervous system, which actually regulates your emotions and how that affects like clear headed decision making. But I just can't even imagine the amount of capacity that you've developed dealing with and taking on funding in the millions with some math, like some massive names and then carrying that on your back and then trying to, be the spearhead in this new direction, you know, saving the world from the current like paradigm of social media platforms. You truly are a, um, a, a, a courageous, courageous human brother. Dude, it's so hard in the sense of the first one in the door is always the bloodiest. Definitely have the most arrows in my back, um, yeah. but I'm relentless at it. You know, like I, when I started this project, one of my investors called me, he's like, I think you're one of the only people in the world can do this because you have this background, not just technical, but like you believe in creators fully, like creators are the thing you've done your entire career. And you believe that you want to help them to build the future of their businesses. And also you've, you've done this before you've been up at bat before. Um, but I'm also conscious that you know, the thing that I always come back to is that we're all playing a game. We're our only players in the game ourselves and everyone else is just an observer. And so how am I going to play the best game? How am I going to play these best chess pieces? And I know, I know within myself 
that the best way to play this game is that I have to keep improving by my failures. If I stop failing, it means that I've stopped learning. But the thing that will excel and accelerate everything is that the earlier that I fail in everything that I do, the faster that I will learn. And the things that I know now at 34, I think people would take a lifetime to have understood if I didn't take the number of at-bats that I have every single day. So the thing that I know is that my constant failures are just learnings that's projecting me forward and forward faster and forward faster and forward faster and forward faster. And for me, it's compounding interest. And I'm making better decisions I am now than I did a year ago. And it will just improve me to be the best version of myself, but I have to consistently fail. And I'm not afraid of it anymore. I'm like, really, I'm not afraid of failing anymore in my daily tasks. It's absolutely remarkable how much you've accomplished at 34. And then, <laughs> I don't and know then about how that. It, 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 it is. And, and I really want to say that. But something that I've noticed about you from spending so much time around you is the level of conviction that you have and the level of belief. And, and, and I've seen that really drives you forward. And then, all, and then to you... Sh- for you sharing that it's also like some of the fears of the big weights and stressors that you're carrying that also drives you forward. Do you, are there any sort of practices or are there any sort of um, ways in which you like shift between like the, the conviction like or from the fear to like remembering how much conviction you have? So it's, it's definitely oscillating like the sine waves in this audio that we're saying it it oscillates very good from down to up to down to up like our heartbeats my practice lately has been this like gratitude practice of just being very grateful for the life that i get to live every single day that's like the one thing that i always is kind of like the north star and then lately just from a friend that's kind of recommended this to me is is meditating on my failures and meditating on like if this thing doesn't work out what's the worst that's going to happen like what's the worst outcome and because i've in some ways i would say been very close to death the eventual outcome the worst outcome is i die and i've been very close to it already in my life i've like i've i've touched it i've smelled it i've talked to it i talk to it all the time that's my end state, right? It's if I die and I don't have any more time in this world to do what I want to do, that's the final end state. But everything else better is, is, is definitely better than that. So I meditate on the fact that, you know, if Zion fails as a company, what would happen in my life? Basically nothing. Because what I believe at this point is that I've set out in the world a, sec- a set of technical principles to go build the future of the internet. I wrote that. I put it out few months ago it's on the internet and i've been talking about it on tons of podcasts of like how could you build the future app store of the world and maybe even if i fail at this company there's somebody out there listening to this and says i want to build that in five years maybe i'm too early and they go build that that's not a failure that's just the fact that i seeded an idea that someone took over and was successful at it so there's no real aspect like when I when I when I really go and meditate in my practice it's like what is the worst that can happen and it's not that bad unless I die. And then if I die I'm not going to remember anyway. 
And for the, you touched upon it a little bit in the beginning, but um, you were very close to, to death. Yes, you, I, I believe so. You had, I guess, I don't know the actual pathological term for it. But it was a cavernous malformation of my right temporal lobe. So it was, um, it was a series of blood vessels that accumulated. You could call it, a, the doctor calls it a benign tumor, but it's not really a tumor. It accumulated in my right temporal lobe. And then it exploded. Um, it poured blood all over my brain. Uh, I had a pretty severe seizure where I passed out. I stopped breathing for a bit. I turned pale white. And then I got rushed to the ICU. Um, they put me in a CAT scan, found the bleed. But because it was so severe, they had to move me to a different hospital. So I was at Santa Monica um, uh UCLA, and this was in 2019. November 21st will be my three years of that experience. Um, they have to move me in an ambulance to Ronald Reagan ICU because they couldn't keep me stable um, at that hospital. They had to go and put me in an angiogram. And I spent three days in the ICU um, figuring out, like, is this thing going to kill me? And the result was I have to have brain surgery to remove this thing from my brain or I'm going to have seizures for the rest of my life. So um, on January 9, 2020, I had a craniotomy to remove a cavernoma from my right temporal lobe, and I have a titanium plate holding the side of my skull together. And so that brought you incredibly close to to death in this. And, and do you feel like that was an, like, is, I mean, from my perspective, that's quite a prerequisite for uh, uh, the ultimate quote in what we believe in our culture failure which we believe death is a failure which is actually not um that is a that that is a um a a a a mental virus of of a way to think about death um and i think that's a uh, a massive part of the issue in our world um but having that experience do you feel and Something that you said in the book is that at that moment afterwards, you had this awareness that it shifted your your vision, your timeline, yeah. your mission during this life. So before the seizure, I had sold my company. I had, you know, been living this like very like open life where I didn't really work. I was doing Ironmans. I would wake up in the morning and work out. And my purpose was just to like, it was very selfish. It was like a selfish journey. I was like, I'm going to do Ironman. I'm going to just work out. I'm going to be fit as fit as I'm going to travel around the world. Everything, everything I wanted, I did at any time. Like I was just like this, but I wasn't contributing to the world in the way that I needed to. So when I woke up after the seizure and I, I wake up back in my body and I think I switched places with another version of myself and that's kind of details are in the book. It's kind of weird. I woke up and I said, I, I can't do this anymore because I have a set of, I have a very particular set of skills and I think I can build a world changing thing. I, I think I have the skills to build impact, like global impact, affect billions of people through something that I'm doing. I can't stop now at 31. I can't do that. It's just, it's too lazy to do that. Um, So I got to go build a world changing company. And so I have brain surgery and six months later I started Zion. 
And like, I'm not like this thing is, is like, I'm hitting for the, the fences. Like yeah. there's already a guy going to Mars. There's already a guy making electric cars to make the world a, like, you know, electrified place. Like social media and content distribution on the web is like the biggest unlock that no one has really figured out yet in a decentralized way. It's one of the hardest technical problems to solve. So I'm really hitting for the fences. Like I'm going for something like really hard, like really fucking hard. And I'm competing against some of the biggest, but I feel at this point in my career, like I have to try and like have the biggest ambitions and the biggest ideas because that's what's going to fulfill me the most. Like I want to make global impact and global change. And the seizure woke me up to say like, you know what, like you got to go do that. Like stop, stop messing around and, and don't wait. Like, I think this is a thing for people that are listening to this. There's a lot of people that, you know, in six months, you're going to regret that you didn't start today. Start today. If you really have something that you want to do in the world, because you have no idea how long you have left. To give you context, like when I had my seizure, I had just done an Ironman two months before. 24 hours before, I had just climbed Haleakala on Maui on my bike in under four hours, right? Competitive, like I was super fit. I was like the fittest I could be in my life. And then all of a sudden, your brain's bleeding and you're on an ICU bed and they're trying to keep you alive. No one knows. So why wait? Do it now. Do it now. It's it, you have no like. It's a loot. Times is such an illusion. We think we have it. We think we have it. We think we have it. We don't. It's fleeting. It's fleeting. I'm feeling old now. I'm 34 and I'm feeling old. I mean, I've lived a lot of lives, but I'm feeling old. I've gone through the trenches. Do you feel like this mission is kind of aging you a little bit? Quicker? Absolutely. The 16 hour days get you. I mean, we were talking about it before we started. Like. Last couple of weeks has been 16 hour days, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm built for it. I like there, there's certain yeah. people that are like, you know what? I want to separate. I need time off. I need the weekends, blah, blah, blah. Like I don't need that. I'm so relentless in my focus of what I want to bring to the world that I work every day, seven days a week, 10 to 16 hours a day. And that is just my style because that's what it's going to take. Like it's, it's how I sold the business in three years. I know what it takes is that if there's two people One's working eight hours a day, five days a week. One's working seven and 16. Within a month, I've doubled the time that I could in terms of output. And within 12 months, I've done a year extra work than you have. That's how you win. What do you think the number one thing that like stops people from, from really like just going all in on something that's massive? And maybe it's not as like, I, I commend you for taking on something that's like global and really would affect every human on the planet. And so for people that are kind of on the fence and they, they have this bigger mission and they're kind of just afraid to put their foot in, like what, what do you think, is it like self-worth issues? Because I've had other business, like business mentors specifically, like saying like it's like self-worth issues, self-value issues or fear of failure or um, unresolved like emotional trauma or um, uh, validation. I, I mean, I have kind of a, a different opinion. I don't believe everyone should do what I do in this yeah. way at all. Like I actually, I believe that most people should not be entrepreneurs Yeah, uh, because I think it's actually more hurtful because they're mm. just not built for it. Yeah. Right. Like, like when I talk about like doing the thing you want to do is like, if you're fully committed to doing and playing in the, the arena that I'm playing in, 
then you should go for it and you should go full board. But a lot of people actually should not because it actually will be more hurtful when they're fit, when they fail. Mm. So it's not like the, the best answer to give. Yeah. Um, but when I say like, if you're waiting for something and, and, and you really want to do it and you believe you can, then, th- then that's what you should do. But also I'm, I'm not trying to like entrepreneurship. If, if that's the lens of your question is, is, is not sexy. It's not. It's it's so it's fucking painted that, hard. It's painted that it's way. It's painted on that way because right it's now. an illusion, right? They're yeah. trying to create this illusion for you that you're like, oh, you can do this and you can be free and you can do all this, but actually, it's it's very hard, and most people are not willing to do everything that is necessary to be there, and that's the problem. It's 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 actually like there's only two things: it's unsuccessful or successful. It's very binary. You're either going to be unsuccessful yeah. or you're going to be successful. And I think most people are not willing to put in that much work to get to this level. That's the truth of the matter is like, if you're willing to, if you're willing to sacrifice almost anything for the thing that you're trying to build, then maybe you should play this game because the truth and the reality is that you're competing against people like me. People don't realize the amount of sacrifices that you have to make to to put all of your energy into something. And I think that that's one thing that people don't realize when they get into entrepreneurship. I mean, the amount of like, I guess, you know, we could define the word sacrifice, but um, spending so much of your time going into the, going into <laughs> what you're going into, do you feel like, has there been any like massive sacrifices that you want to share? Fair. Everything. I sacrificed my time. I sacrificed my energy. I sacrificed, you know, perhaps that's why I'm not in a relationship right now and I'm single, right? Because my mind is so focused on my business that I cannot give that capacity to another individual in my life. So I probably sacrificed that, which means I've sacrificed the potential of having children at a younger age. Um, I've sacrificed relationships with individuals because my priorities are different. Um, I've probably lost friendships because my beliefs are so true and they don't necessarily jive with other people. And I'm just so true in what I say and what I believe that the people like, you know, I'm not down with that. Um, I've sacrificed a lot to be true to myself. Mm. And I don't necessarily recommend that for everyone. It's not, it's not, it's not an easy path. Yeah. Is there any of, of those like that you would really, that you really wish you had? Like, I live an amazing life. Um, I, I I believed at some point that this, the second mountain, there's a book, I don't know the guy that wrote it, but there's a book, The Second Mountain, and I believe I'm on, I'm on my second mountain. I thought that this mountain, I would maybe do it with somebody. I maybe have someone that would be like a, a potential partner, um, either on the business side or on the emotional side or like in, in the relationship side. I, I thought that for a while. Um, not the case yet. So yeah. I'm two years into it and I'm still at it alone. And it's a question I wonder, like, am, am I built to just do things on my own? Is that, is that my, yeah. you know, is that my prerogative? I mean, most people are. Jeff is, um, Bezos is, Elon is, uh, Jack is. A lot of these people do everything on their own pretty much. Um, so I wonder if that's my, if that's my fate as well per se. Um, and I think about that cause I'm getting older and I'm like, Oh, I want kids. 
what does that look like for me? Yeah. Um, and, but I'm also just so, I just see what's right in front of me. I, I, I'm like playing out in the future, but I'm also like so focused on just like, like I'm going to go back to my phone. I, I know I'll probably have 200 messages on something that I'm like, and I have to just figure that out. It's, it's sometimes it's challenging that capacity to figure out what the other edges are. Yeah. I remember the other day I was at, I was at Barton just taking a cold dip and, um, Elon Musk came to mind and I was just, I was looking at all the families around and I know, I don't know if he lives here in Austin or I know he spends time here, but I'm like wondering, has he ever been to Barton Springs? Has he ever taken his family here? You know, I just, I, it just made me think about the, um, like, what is he actually doing with his time? You know, he's building three of the most amazing companies in the world, right? That's what he's doing with this time. And, you know, I have to nod it to that man. He is undoubtedly the best operator of our generation. Undoubtedly the best operator of our generation. The way he just uh, engineering first principles and everything he does. It's, it's incredible. I'm bummed I'm competing against him right now. I kind of <laughs> didn't like, I was like, fuck, man. Like, I don't think he can actually change Twitter that much. Um, but I'm bummed. I was like, man, I, I don't want to compete against that guy, but I am. So it's, it's humbling me and I'm learning a lot. I'm watching. Yeah, well, competition um, in a healthy way can, can create growth, right? I mean, that's what it is. I mean, you go to the gym, <laughs> you rip your muscles, you grow more. Like yeah. you need, you need that, that edge that impact that fucking hardness to grow like it's not soft like you have to fail and you have to like it has to suck i'm i mean i've heard this from a couple people like oh it should be awesome and easy like i think it has to suck like i just think it does i I, but i could be wrong i'm still trying to figure out i'm I'm trying to proxy someone that hasn't put in the work and is very successful i don't don't know anyone that's done that well, we need that. We need those stressors. I remember living for, you know, I was about 25 and I had just gotten out of school and I had moved to Hawaii. Um, a friend of mine was running a coffee macadamia nut farm in Hawaii and he, and he was like, hey, just come out and live. I got a spot for you. Um, you can just come enjoy this incredible space. And I had lived in Arizona most of my life, not really experienced much. I hopped on a flight and I, um, I sold everything and I had no money. And I just went to Hawaii and I, you know, I lived on a coffee farm. We farmed every day. I didn't really need any money. We, you know, we fished for food. We had like avocados the size of your head all over the place, all fresh fruits. And I lived there for about a year and, and there was literally no stressors, like, (laughs) like zero stress. It was such a chill lifestyle. And I started creating like my own stressors in my head. Like it's, and I think especially as a, as a man, like we want something hard to bump up against to like make us better. You know, I think that's a, there's a, there's an aspect of that. Like we need, we need the hard thing, right? We think we want an easy life, but then when we have the easy life, it's like, actually we want to overcome like all of life is striving for growth, I think. And we're, we have, natural stressors such as gravity and weather and all of these different things to um you know and and then (laughs) we after that i was also like after that i um i started having anxiety and like depression in a way and i had zero stressors but i started 
creating that stress and that pressure on myself. Mm. And I ended up leaving Hawaii and, and moving back to the, to the States. And, um, and because I wanted, I, I knew inside that I wanted to do something bigger with my life, but it's just incredible to, you know, I, I feel like within somatic and the mission that we're taking on is very massive and it's global, but I just, I commend you for the um, the challenge that you have taken on and said yes to. Mm. It's massive. Thank you, brother. Thank yeah. you. I want to kind of wrap this up, but I'm curious, like this last question, and this is kind of a hard question, and we definitely have gone into it a little bit, but why? Like, why do this? The first thing that comes to mind is because I have to. There's this innate knowing that I have to do this. I have to provide this thing. Because I look around and because I've been entrenched in this for the last couple of years, I look and I look at my peers and I look at how they're showing up and what they're doing and I'm seeing more than more that like I have to do this because if it's not me, then who? Because I do fundamentally believe what I am building should exist in the world. I believe it in my heart. And if I'm equipped to, and if I have the capabilities, I have my breath, and I have my body, I have the, the relationships, the skills, the capital, I have to do it. What else am I going to do? Right? Like what, like what else could I do? I could hang out. You know, I could just go to the gym all the time, do all these like fun activities that, that just like nourish my soul. Yes, but it's quite selfish. I have to do this. I have no, I like, I, I, I it's almost like I don't have a choice. I have, to, I have we have choice, but this is so ingrained in me that I don't have a choice. I would be, I would, I would, I would regret if I didn't. I regret my whole life if I didn't. It's because I have to. The last thing we want is to to die with our gifts left inside of us. And so I really resonate with with <laughs> you you have to and also the recognition of of you being kind of first to market and kind of spearheading what you're doing and knowing that it's usually not the person that's first to, I guess we could call it market, but first to innovation, like usually doesn't win per se. Sometimes no. And so it's a, it's quite a selfless, it's quite a selfless endeavor. Um, but you've, you've made it quite uh, an interesting game for yourself. <laughs> I know, man. And, <laughs> and I, and I, and I want to like, you want to release that, you know, because the way the world moves forward is if people build stuff. No one's like, things don't just appear in the world. They don't just manifest. Like we haven't gone to a place where we could just like manifest a phone or manifest a, a thing. Like it just doesn't, we haven't gone to that place yet. So someone has to do it. Someone has to build the things that make our world go forward. 
And so I feel like I got to contribute in my little way. How can we support your, your mission? How can we support you, brother? I think that the thing that comes to mind immediately is I would like to support the somatic community and like building a community on Zion for you guys. Like, and you guys having a place to go as a destination and knowing that you have full sovereignty of this place online and it's, it's yours and you own it and the community owns it alone. Um, and I think that once this comes out, it's just sharing these ideas is really important. Is that like, is this thought pattern of how you could build something technically important for people is sovereignty important in that way. And just sharing the, the message far and wide. I, I want to, I know that, you know, I decided early on that I'd have to take this like public approach to talk about the things that we're building. And I, at, at some point I didn't want to do that. I was quite quiet. Like when I sold my first yeah. company, no one knew who I was. Like yeah. I was this nobody I had friends, but I was this nobody guy. And I, I realized two years ago that I have to like take this conversation and go out there and talk about it. And so it's just resonating with our message. If you appreciate what we're doing, you know, support Zion, go to zion.fyi, um, see what we're building, read our guide, read our white paper, join the app, uh, build a community on the app. If you feel like this is something that resonates like sovereignty and digital sovereignty in, per in particular resonates for you. And if you want to build an audience there, it'd be amazing. We'd love that support. Thank you for that. And one of the things that we talk about all the time is like nervous system sovereignty. And so that's what we're all about. And like, creating digital sovereignty is absolutely and we are in the process of building um, we have a community and we're we're actually looking at what platform to use so i don't know why we didn't think about zion as <laughs> one of our best friends um so we will absolutely be um supporting in that way thank you brother thank you brother thank you for the time this was this was really nice to do thank you yeah one one other thing that you know i think it's really interesting about community specifically is that we talk about um, integration, like, and I think that people don't have a understanding of what this term is. Like after a, after a healing journey or a ceremony, we talk about like the, okay, now integration is the biggest part, right? But integration is just the, the connections that you are making. And it actually, integration actually happens during the session. You are integrating parts of yourself. You are reconnecting the compartmentalization of yourself. Mm. And so people ask us, like, how do, I, how do I integrate better? Well, nobody can integrate for you. You have to do it for yourself, but you don't have to do it alone. And so what I see that, you know, a lot of, a lot of incredible humans around me, um, c community is actually integration. Mm. Because... A lot of the times people go through this transformative experience and then they're like, okay, how do I integrate this back into my life? But it's, they go back into their normal everyday life and then they have their spouse or their friends or their current environment yeah. that keeps them in, a, in the box that actually doesn't allow them to integrate this new version of themselves. Sure. So the community, the supportive community is actually the integration for you to actually go be this new version of yourself yeah so finding a finding a new community and um what better place than having a sort of uh platform that is uh digitally sovereign so i'm looking forward to it thank you my brother
Appreciate you. Yeah. Love you so much, Justin. Love you too, man.